all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm Karen Brown with Dr. Michelle Owens, specialist in maternal fetal medicine and OBGYN at UMMC. Today, we're going through the change of life with you, or menopause if you'd prefer. If it's in your future, what can you expect? And if you're in the midst of it, when will it end? We'll have the answers to your questions because OBGYN Dr. Sheila Bolden is here as our special guest. Call 1-877-MPB-RING with your questions. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy for Women. We'll be back after news from NPR on MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. Iraqi allied forces close in on ISIS militants controlling Mosul, Iraq, one village at a time. Kurdish troops exchange gunfire with Islamic State militants in Batna, a predominantly Christian village, as heard through audio courtesy of Rudolf TV, a Kurdish media group in Iraq. The near-daily bombardment across the border in Syria is on hold. Russian forces who are allied with the Syrian government are observing another day of a ceasefire in Aleppo so that humanitarian groups can evacuate wounded and injured civilians. NPR's Allison Muse says aid workers are still waiting for security assurances. A Red Cross spokeswoman in Aleppo says teams are on standby to deliver food and medical supplies to the rebel-held side of the city, but they're still waiting for security guarantees. Another humanitarian worker says rebel groups continue to fire mortars on the government side of the city. Save the Children warns opposition reports that banned cluster munitions are being used against the rebel side and that some children may be too badly hurt to be moved. Rebels released a statement saying any medical evacuations must be tied to the delivery of aid for those who stay. Amnesty International says satellite imagery shows a merciless air campaign aimed at purging eastern Aleppo of civilian life. Damascus accuses the rebels of preventing people from leaving. Allison Muse, NPR News, Beirut. With just 18 days to go until Election Day, the presidential campaign race for undecided and independent voters is heating up. Donald Trump returns to North Carolina and Pennsylvania today. Hillary Clinton is focusing today on Ohio, a battleground state that is probably most challenging for her. In Venezuela, authorities have suspended a drive to hold a recall election designed to oust Nicolas Maduro, a deeply unpopular president in Venezuela. Opposition leaders are calling it an unconstitutional move by an increasingly authoritarian regime. We have more on this from John Otis. Venezuela's Electoral Council has blocked the recall effort until further notice. It cited alleged fraud in the gathering of signatures required to trigger the referendum. Opposition leaders claim the ruling is illegal and point out that the Electoral Council is staffed with close allies of President Maduro. They had hoped to remove Maduro, who is grappling with Venezuela's worst economic meltdown in modern history. 
But the Electoral Council's decision could allow Maduro to finish out his term, which ends in 2019. For NPR News, I'm John Otis. At last check on Wall Street, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 39 points at 18,123. S&P 500 off three points at 2,138. And the Nasdaq is up 14 points at 52.56. This is NPR. A new report calls for states to move away from locking up juveniles in youth prisons. NPR's Carrie Johnson reports advocates say the system is failing. The study by Harvard's Kennedy School and the Annie E. Casey Foundation says the model for punishing young people simply doesn't work. Vincent Schiraldi helped write the report. This was a, a, a 19th century invention that was troubled right from the beginning, these youth prisons. There's been uh, scandals in all but five states. Since 1970. The report says states should offer treatment and rehabilitation to young people in their own homes. That's a trend Chiraldi says is already taking hold in places like Virginia and Connecticut. Carrie Johnson, NPR News, Washington. The London-based British American Tobacco is offering $47 billion to acquire R.J. Reynolds. Larry Miller reports BAT already owns a 42.2% minority stake in the U.S. company and says a merger will bring major cost savings. BAT says a merged company will make significantly greater inroads in high-growth emerging markets of South America, Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. It will also see $400 million in cost savings across the two businesses. Although BAT's offer represents a 20% premium on Reynolds' closing share price, it says it doesn't know if Reynolds will accept the deal. That's Larry Miller reporting from London. U.S. stocks are mixed with the Dow off 42 points, S&P down 2, and the Nasdaq has picked up 14 points. I'm Lakshmi Singh, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Independent Sector, holding its annual conference for over 1,000 changemakers and charitable sector leaders this November in Washington, D.C. Learn more at newfrontiers2016.org and to the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. I'm Terry Gross. Listen to Fresh Air weekdays at 3 on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to women at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Here we are on Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown here with Dr. Michelle Owens, specialist in maternal fetal medicine and OBGYN at UMMC. Today, we are going through the change of life with you or menopause. We're going through it all together. The change. If it's in your future, what can you expect? And if you're in the middle of it, you want to know when's this going to end already? (laughs) 
We'll have the answers to your questions because our special guest is an expert. She's OBGYN, Dr. Sheila Bolden. And the number to call if you have a question or a comment, if you're going through the change, we'll talk about that too, the change, why it's called that. one 877 mpb ring one 672 7464 or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. Now, Dr. Owens, tell everybody why you have this sultry voice today. Um, it's, yeah, because I have an upper respiratory infection. <laughs> <laughs> Courtesy of my children, I have contracted some communicable disease. So uh, <laughs> keep your distance. Yeah, so, so if, I, if you notice that I'm sounding like I'm uh, hosting the quiet storm on, uh, on air today, it's, they, thank my children for that because they have infected me. All right. Well, yeah. Dr. Bolden, I, you picked a great day to come in. Just stay know, away right? from her. I am not <laughs> contagious. Thank you very much. I'm not. So you say. Well, <laughs> anyway, doc, Dr. Bolden, thank you for being here and welcome. Tell our listeners about yourself. Good morning. Um, I'm Dr. Sheila Bolden. I'm a professor at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in the department of OBGYN. I have a special interest in menopause, and I'm a certified menopause practitioner. I'm excited to be back again today, uh, and I'm a native of Jackson, Mississippi. Well, you didn't travel far from home, did you? <laughs> Not at all. So you're a menopausologist? <laughs> I like that term. <laughs> we just made a new one. We created a whole new field of medicine, menopausology. I like it. All right. Why, why is it the change? That's sort of an old-fashioned expression, isn't it? That's an expression that we've all grew up. Uh, we've all grown up with. Uh, but menopause is when you transition from your reproductive life to not being able to have children. And it is something that's natural for women. Um, women, as long as we live, we're going to go through the change of life. That means we're going to experience some changes in our body. Our ovaries are going to stop producing estrogen. We may have some symptoms that go along with that. But it's natural, and we need to embrace it and Get through it. Embrace the change. Embrace the change. That's the quote. That's the quote for the day. Embracing it's not really easy, though. For a lot of women, it's not easy. There are some women uh, that go through the change that don't have some of the symptoms, some of the more common symptoms, such as hot flashes or hot flushes and night sweats. Um, women also experience some mood changes when they're going through the change of life, when they're transitioning. Um, they also will experience some vaginal dryness and some of the other symptoms that can cause some changes in, in their life. I just know that I was really irritable for about five years. <laughs> you went through the change for five years? Yeah, it, yeah, it, it was about five yeah, years. I think that's a really good question um, because, you know, is, is, it, is menopause like finite or is it like this continuum? Um, because I think the whole concept of when is it going to end is a great question. I mean, we kind of know about the average age that it starts, which is around 51 to 52 years old. Um, but... What is it, what do we really know about menopause? Like, is menopause, like, today you are in menopause and tomorrow you're not? How does that happen? Well, what menopause actually is, is the final menstrual period. It's when you go uh, a year without a menstrual cycle, or if you stop having cycles and you've had hormone testing to show that your ovaries are no longer functioning, then you're considered in menopause. And then, yes, 
you will spend the rest of your life in that menopause state. So there's not, there's not perimenopause, postmenopause? There is perimenopause. That's that transitional period. That's when you start, your hormones start waxing and waning, and you may experience menstrual cycle changes. You may also experience some of the hot flashes, the vasomotor symptoms, because your hormones are fluctuating. And when you stop having that final menstrual period, or you're diagnosed by a hormone test that shows that you're over is no longer function, then you are considered in menopause. So it and it and the whole concept of of symptoms and things that women may experience is really just a function of that continuous decline in their hormones. So this is all about, you know, all all since puberty we've been inundated, our bodies have been inundated with these wonderful hormones, estrogen, which, you know, helps our skin and all this great stuff. And then over time, when um, when our ovaries stop functioning and we they stop going through the process that would prepare us to be able to bear children, then there's this there's no there's no longer that continuous supply of hormones. And as we typically just kind of go along and the hormone levels decline because you're not putting something back into the system. And so they're just continually falling off then that's kind of how we end up experiencing symptoms over time. And it's not the same for everybody, right? It's not the same for everyone. And uh, in fact, a lot of the studies will show that different ethnic backgrounds um, have experienced symptoms differently. Uh, Women different sizes experience uh, menopausal symptoms differently as well. So not everyone will have the bothersome symptoms that um, other women have. So when we're trying to treat that patient, we have to individualize uh, therapy and um, recommendations for patients based upon their individual needs. Does um, how old you were when you had children or if you've never had children, do they play a part in menopause? What we find, we found that um, a lot of women will go experience menopause around the same time that their mother or siblings experience menopause, and um, there are some women who go have what we call premature ovarian. Uh, primary ovarian insufficiency, it used to be referred to as premature menopause, um, where their ovaries stop functioning before the age of 40. And so they experience symptoms um, that could be more severe than women who go through menopause at the natural age. There are also women who have surgical menopause, meaning they've had their ovaries removed um, at the time of hysterectomy or for other reasons. And those women who have their ovaries removed before the age of 45 tend to have more severe symptoms associated with menopause. Yeah, and that's pretty sudden. I mean, it's you know, we, we're talking about change of life, and it's more of a gradual experience of symptoms. It doesn't really hit you like a ton of bricks. But if you have surgical menopause, the difference, I mean, that's something that um, many of my patients who have undergone um, hysterectomy or who had to have their ovaries removed for whatever reason, it's one of the things that they talk about, like it happens and it happens fast. But you know the difference between what you were before you've had your um, your ovaries removed and how it feels immediately after if you are a person who was of reproductive age. Let me give the phone number out if you want to call with a question or comment. one eight seven seven mpb ring 877-672-7464 or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. If you have a hysterectomy and your ovaries have been removed and it's sort of instant menopause, what does that mean? A week after the surgery... 
A month after? It's immediate. The menopause. day after? If both ovaries are removed, it's immediate that you go through surgical menopause. And uh, most women will start experiencing symptoms even while they're in the hospital. Wow. Uh, is there, a, as I said, I was irritated for five years, which is kind of I'm sort of being facetious, but not really because I was irritated for a long time. Is there a general range of when women are experiencing the symptoms most common with menopause? The most, most women experience symptoms for uh, three to five years after menopause, but I just recently came back from um, the North American Menopause Society meeting, and observational studies are showing that women have these symptoms even longer. Uh, uh, the average time now that we're looking at is 10 years that most women will experience these symptoms. 10 years? 10 years. Oh, my Gosh. And then you still have to look at every uh, woman as an individual because I have 70 and 80 year old patients who still come in and having hot flashes. Really? We're just going to pause on that for a moment. <laughs> so we're not, it's not good to have dead air on the radio, but I think that's just kind of one of those things where everybody just needs to stop. For 10 a years, for 70. 10 years, or you're in your 70s? Actually, we are still... going to take a pause because we're going to take a break. Okay. So, you so can we'll all, just let that sink in. You can all ponder on wow. your menopausal symptoms lasting for 10 years or so. Three to, want... I like the three to five. It was working for me. I was Give that. us a call at 877-MPB-RING, 877-672-7464. We'll be be right back on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, offering online master's degrees in elementary education, higher education, and early childhood education. Your master's degree can be earned online in as little as one to two years. More information at education.olemiss.edu. In the new film Moonlight, Mahershala Ali plays a drug dealer named Juan who takes a neglected young boy under his wing. What resonated with me most about Juan in particular was that he was a reflection of people who I grew up around. I'm Kelly McEvers. Mahershala Ali on playing what's usually a stereotype, a black male drug dealer, in a totally different way. Later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to women at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Thanks for listening to Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown, here with Dr. Michelle Owens and our special guest, Dr. Sheila Bolden. We're talking about menopause today, and we're going right to the phones. Linda calling in from Houston, Mississippi. Hi, Linda. Hi. 
Go right Can ahead. Yeah, yes. we hear you great. What's your question? I, I don't have a question. I wanted to let you know that uh, symptoms never end. I'm one of those 70-year-olds. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but they're not as bad. They're not as often, but they still do happen, the hot flashes. <laughs> Well, Linda, what have you? How long have you? Um, how long has it been since you've uh, gone through the change? I, I can't really remember. <laughs> I think it's been about fifteen years. I was it was late getting started. I was way up in my fifties. Okay, and how? And did, what so did you do? Been, what have you done to to make it better or to deal with or to cope oh, with I your symptoms? Go through it. <laughs> I say it'll end in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, I don't. I don't do anything. Uh, well, thanks so much for confirming what Dr. Bolden said. You, uh, we, yeah, we were hoping that we had a little. We Dr. Hoped, Bolden, we what about? Timeline. Are there any remedies for for lowering the symptoms? Well, we have hormone replacement therapy uh, that can help with the symptoms that women experience, especially the vasomotor symptoms. Um, there's a lot of people that are afraid to take hormone replacement therapy, but the studies have shown, looking from you know uh, scientific background, that women who go experience menopause earlier and are treated with hormone replacement th- therapy, they actually can have some protective benefits um, as far as the heart and their cognition as well. Ooh, so you smarter and also protection from heart disease. I love it. That your brain works a little better anyway. Is your body vulnerable at all to illness or anything when you're going through menopause? Yes. Because of the lack of estrogen, you're at an increased risk of osteoporosis. That means the bones, that your bones become um, brittle, you increase risk of fracture. So you have to do things to protect your bone, your bones. That's why it's very important that women who do experience menopause early, that they're, they seek some type of therapy to help protect their bones. Um, so we were talking about some of the, some of the symptoms, the vasomotor symptoms, and um, I think Karen touched on, you know, she said she was irritable for about five years. Um, it's not, I think it's important for, for the listening audience to understand that menopause is not just a physical, they're not just physical symptoms, but they're also emotional symptoms that women can experience as well, correct? Yes. I tell my patients menopause can affect you from the head to the bottom of your feet. You know, you can have the brain fog, um, some of the memory changes uh, early on in menopause. You can also affect the skin. It can affect your heart, your bones. Um, and your mood, too, And your right? mood overall. Depression, anxiety, those kinds of things that people may not have experienced before. Um, they can also experience um, as they go through menopause. There was a sensation I had that I'd never had before, and that was I wanted to climb out of my own skin. I felt I felt my skin felt different on me. You ever had that sensation? No, I guess not. <laughs> I know some of our listeners my have that. Different skin. It's like the skin. It was almost like tingling. It just it was it was tingly and it felt um, like I was in a closed space. Like I was too closed up. I wanted the skin to go away. Some women experience anxiety that may give you that sensation uh, when they're going through menopause um, and. It, it all goes back to you not having the hormones that you used to have and all of the changes that occur because of that lack of estrogen. So uh, women are, learn- are coping with menopause 
in so many different ways, lifestyle modifications, uh, exercise. Uh, there are non-hormonal options for treating some of the hot flashes and so forth. But the important thing to remember is that this is natural. It's a natural process of aging, and you can get through it. You can get through it. Um, it takes support, uh, understanding from family as well, that these changes are normal. You're not going crazy. These changes are normal, and there can be help out there for you. And so um, as we're talking about this, I'm going to kind of go out on a, a, a limb here. Um, so I think it, one of the things that I find interesting about this process is the whole concept of the life beyond. And um, I wish that I could have talked to Linda a little bit more about just what happens beyond she said you know she just gets through it but like what differences or how life changes afterwards for example um you're irritable you have hot flashes there's vaginal dryness and all that so does this affect libido what about sex i mean and and is there is there is there sex after menopause can there be good sex after menopause do people still want to have sex after menopause um, inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> inquiring minds want to know. Well, women can have an active sex life and still enjoy sex after menopause. Um, the thing that most women, if you're having symptoms of vaginal dryness, it can cause uh, painful intercourse. So there's there are treatment options out there to help with vaginal dryness and dyspareunia as far as painful intercourse so that you can still enjoy sex. Also, the more active you are, the healthier the vaginal tissue is. So, like the more sexually active, the more sexually active. You're not active talking about running around the block. No. Okay. The 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 you know a lot of people say if you don't use it, you may lose it. I've known Dr. Bolden for like almost 15 years, and she's over here blushing. She turns like 50 shades of red already. She looks like she has the nicest rouge on her cheeks. I, I think that's a hot flush that you're seeing over here. I am 52, so no, that's but, a hot flush. But I, I, like that's but that's important and that's like a part it is a very important part of people's lives and i think that there's this misperception that as we age that those desires and those needs go away and i and i i think that that's a misperception and i think that many of the people in our listening audience might be liberated by knowing that yeah no it doesn't have to and that you can have a very healthy and satisfying sex life and even if you are experiencing some of these symptoms that there are treatments and other um, modalities that are out there that will enable you to still have a very robust and fulfilling experience in that way. I agree. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of it has to do with your partner as well. You know, um, as we as we age, sometimes there are health issues that can uh, interfere with your ability to be active, sexually active um, in the menopause a phase of your life and so forth, or even with your partner being able to participate. But it is important, you know, it's important for women um, to continue to be sexually active if they're physically able and uh, the desire is there. And it's good. It, it's good for your health. And it's like you, you burn calories, you get the benefit of some exercise. And I, and it makes people, I mean, it makes people feel good when they have a healthy sexual relationship. I think that actually is additive to their overall personal health and how they feel as individuals. It's really important. I would like to say that I need to um, um, 
mention that there are a lot of women in menopause who sometimes have new partners or um, at during this time frame that you also need to protect yourself against any sexually transmitted infections because we're starting to see an increase in sexually transmitted infections in that age range um, and also HPV, which can be associated with cervical cancer because now we have a lot of uh, seniors that are becoming more active with new partners. Oh, are you saying they're not using protection because yes. they can't get pregnant anymore? Exactly. Oh. Yeah, you can get more from intercourse than just pregnant is the point. Yes. And so you always need to make sure you protect yourself. And another thing uh, on that same vein um, is that when we're talking about protection and we're talking about vaginal dryness and those kinds of things, the lubrication piece is important. And so if, say, for example you are engaged in intercourse and your partner has a condom, then the difference in the type of lubricants can make a difference in the, um, in the effectiveness of the condom. So the difference between oil-based lubricants versus water-based lubricants, et cetera, um, can also um, have an impact on the effectiveness of, you know, the condoms, et cetera. Let me, let me just give the phone number out again. We welcome your questions, your comments, your stories, whatever. one eight seven seven mpb ring 877-672-7464 or send us an email if you prefer. It's women at mpbonline.org. Dr. Bolden, go ahead. Well, um, I just wanted to add to what Dr. Owens said. You know, because of the thinning of the tissue that occurs through menopause, you, you lose that barrier to infection. So it's important that the vaginal health is preserved during that time frame. Are there... Food you can eat, supplements you can take, vitamins maybe that will help alleviate some of the symptoms? A lot of people are using some soy-based products to help um, alleviate some of the symptoms of menopause. The thing that's important about soy, high doses of soy mimic estrogen. So you can have the same risk of using estrogen um, by using high doses of soy, Um but some people are able to use some of these products, dietary changes to help them with some of the symptoms that they have. So it, are, does there exist at this point in time recommendations about the amount of soy? Because when you mention that, how would someone who may be considering soy or who uh, consumes soy to kind of offset um the side effects of menopause. It, are there guidelines right now that exist for uh, soy intake? Unfortunately, there are no guidelines for that. We had a whole session on the use of phytoestrogens in soy, and the only thing that um, they're saying is that you have to be careful with taking in high quantities of soy, and there's not en enough research to say what quantity is safe. So Dr. Um, Dr. Bolden used the term phytoestrogens, and that's actually the, the, the component that's found in soy, um, which is, I guess, your phytoestrogens, which is that it's kind of, they act like estrogens in that way, and that's one of the reasons Pretend why you get really... estrogens. Yeah, well, a different kind, plant-based soy-type estrogen. We're going to go to the phone and say good morning to Mary calling in from Brandon. Hi, Mary. Hi. Good morning. What's um, your question? I just wanted to say, um, before I went through menopause, I would hear people talk about it, and I was, I don't want to say I was scared, but I was very apprehensive, and I'm not minimizing the symptoms that people will have 
um, bad symptoms of menopause. But for me, it was not hard at all. I had some insomnia, um, some night sweats, but, you know, having your period is no picnic either. (laughs) (laughs) I have always had bad menstrual cramps. And, you know, you're always having to carry around some tampons or, you know, mine was was varied, so I couldn't always count on when I would get it. So I was always carrying tampons and sanitary pads, and then I'm at work, and, you know, you've got to drag them into the restroom. Absolutely. Um, So anyway, um, like I said, I don't want to minimize what other people suffer, but I think, you know, I don't think I had a really bad attitude going in because my sister had gone through it and she didn't have a tough time either. So maybe our family's just lucky. <laughs> but um, anyway, for those listening, you know, not everybody has a bad time. And I would say the insomnia was maybe two years. And I'm not so sure I had some deaths in my family. And it may have really been that more than the menopause. And the night sweats were annoying, but I didn't have the kind that, you know, soaked all the way through the sweat. So I would just have to throw off my blanket. So. Anyway, that's just what I wanted to add. So, well, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. And that's kind of, that's encouraging because at least that way, if, if we get your mild form of menopause, then it'd be okay for it to last 10 years, I guess. <laughs> that didn't sound so bad at all, Mary. Actually, I'm a little bit more encouraged now. Yeah, thank you, Mary. We appreciate that. You're welcome. Okay, we're going to take our second break of the hour. And when we get back, we have Kelly's on the phone. Kelly, just hang on. We'll get to your call right away as soon as we come back. We're talking about menopause today on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. election year has been unpredictable, and it can be hard to keep track of what's true or not. NPR's election team wades through it all so you don't have to. Be informed. Listen to the station every day. Daily at 4 on NPB Think Radio. Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app. Available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Coming up this week on MPB's At Issue, the Mississippi Adequate Education Program. Republican legislative leadership wants to re-examine the state's education funding formula for public schools. We have been fighting to see that the teachers have what they need to instruct our children. They want to know if there's a way to get more money into classrooms. MAAP is a very complicated formula. We take a closer look at the Mississippi Adequate Education Program on At Issue this Friday at 7.30 p.m. on MPB-TV. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. 
That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to women at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Music master Jay White. We're talking about menopause today. Change it, change Yeah. <laughs> Our special guest is Dr. Sheila Bolden. She is an OBGYN who specializes in menopause. And we're going to go to the phone because Kelly has been waiting patiently. Kelly is on the road. Kelly, pull over before you talk to us. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. I actually did pull over. Good, good. <laughs> Wonderful. So what's your question? Um, well, you know, I... Um, I have been advised by my doctor to take, you know, vitamin D supplements because of my D levels and I'm menopausal. And, you know, I heard this report the other day. This um, doctor had said that she is finding that her patients who are taking calcium supplements are experiencing higher levels of calcium in their heart and that she is advising her patients to stop taking those supplements and to get their calcium nutritionally. Dr. And Bolden? I'm taking a calcium D supplement um, right now, so I was just wondering what the doctor thought about that. Kelly, the recommendation is that women get 1,200 milligrams of calcium supplementation, at, but the recommendation is that it comes from the diet if possible. Uh, because it's very controversial whether or not the calcium has the negative effect on the heart. So she is absolutely right. The recommendation is to get it from the diet first. Yeah, and and the um, so that... That conversation really kind of peaked, I guess, about three years ago. Um, There was a study that was released by the National Institutes of Health, and the National Institutes of Health released this um, study that basically noted that people who took calcium supplements there and it's the information was kind of a mixed bag so there are some reports that show that the increase in heart attacks are in cardiovascular risk was demonstrated both in men and in women but in some it was in the men who were taking the supplements alone and so there has been some discussion about the um, influence of calcium supplementation on overall heart health or cardiovascular health but um, the jury is not totally out on that, um, and they do recognize that that there's more information. We need more information to know for sure, but that at this point has not made a difference in the current recommendations for bone health. They don't have enough information to change the current recommendations, but that is a concern in certain populations. Kelly, that was a great question. Thank you Absolutely. so much for calling in. Okay, thank you. If you have a good day. You, you too. too. All right, bye If you'd like to call in, the number is 877-MPB-RING, 877-672-7464. We welcome your emails to women at mpbonline.org. In fact, we're going to an email right now from Mary. 
She writes, the cost of Premarin and Estrace vaginal cream is astronomical. It is unaffordable for some women. Many insurance companies don't cover it, though they do cover Viagra for men. Today, a small tube of Premarin is almost $300 in the U.S. 15 years ago, the price was $12. I find this to be a serious problem and wish all insurance companies would get on board. It's very, Mary, uh, thank you for sending that um, comment in because as a provider, I'm having to get on the phone with insurance companies and try to get prior authorizations to get vaginal estrogen covered for my patients who really need it. And it's unfortunate that these drug companies have increased the cost of this medication. Um, there is a generic Vagif, um, equivalent of Vagifem, the tablet that's used to help with vaginal dryness that is coming out. Um, the FDA has approved a generic version of it. So we may see in the near future a decrease in cost of some of these vaginal preparations. But I do think that it's important. Um, <clears throat> we talk about um, access to care and we talk about health equity and health care equity and um, I think that it's really important for for women to advocate on behalf of those things that um, that really help to improve our quality of life um, and that are important. And I think that's probably why she made the she drew the it was either because we were talking about sex and we got on that topic or or that she drew the parallel between what um what's usually thought of as a process for older women because it's usually menopause there there are small numbers small much smaller numbers of women who are younger who are menopausal for whatever reason that's usually an aberration and not the norm um but for older women for whom vaginal dryness which may be linked to difficulties with intercourse as compared with viagra which is which is the drug for erectile dysfunction and how male counterparts may have an easier access to medications related to those issues as opposed to women. And so I think that that too is a very valid point. And I think it's one of the reasons why, as we're talking about changes in healthcare, um, it's really important for women to, to, to raise their voices about those things that are very important to our overall health, whether it's our emotional health, whether it's about just general wellness or even reproductive and sexual health, which is also a very important part of our overall health care in general. Thank you so much for that email, Mary. Back to the phones we go, and Jan is calling in from Columbus. Go ahead, Jan. Hi. um, You were just talking about taking calcium supplements, and for someone who has uh, peptic ulcers and other indigestion issues, taking medications that actually leach calcium from his or her body, would calcium supplements still be considered uh, maybe putting too much calcium into someone's body regarding plaque or um, the heart? So... Jan, are you are you specifically? I just want to make sure that we understand your question. Is your question specifically related to the utilization of those medicines that are used as treatment for um, heartburn and peptic ulcer disease, and how that may? Is there a concern that that may increase calcium availability? Um, right. My understanding is that those drugs can cause 
uh, calcium deficiencies and maybe brittle bones. And so I wondered if taking calcium supplements might make up the gap rather than maybe cause someone to be taking too much calcium. I think that supplementation could fill in the gap if you're um, not getting enough calcium or medications are interfering with the absorption of calcium, then um, (coughs) supplementation may help. Uh, Also, it may be important if you have vitamin D levels checked as well, because vitamin D supplementation is also important. Okay. Great. Thank you, Jan. Hope that's helpful. Thank you so much. And I just wanted to make a a personal comment also um, about the uh, medications for women who've gone through uh, menopause and may have vaginal dryness. Um, I was prescribed a drug that I later found out. It's called Premarin, and it's made from pregnant mare urine. And what happens with these mares, they're stalled the entire 11 months of gestation. They don't have any freedom to move around. And when the foals are born, they are often put out in lots. Uh, sometimes they die from starvation, uh, but they're not given access to the mares because mares' urine is used to make these drugs that provide estrogen to women. And I just wanted to make your audience aware of that because it really made a huge difference to me when I discovered that and I just tried to educate people about, you know, where their drugs are coming from. All right, Jan, thank you so much. Have so, you ever heard um, of that? Is that... I- I'm. I will have to admit, I'm the mare urine. I I was not aware. I'll have to. I definitely am gonna gonna check into that though, because that's um that is a very interesting perspective. I'll have to look that up. All right, back yeah, to the phones. Absolutely. Roz calling in from Gulfport. Hi, Roz. Hi. Um, I just had a couple of comments. First of all, thank you for your um informative show. That certainly all women um are going to need the information at some point in their life. I had two comments. One was, um, I'm 64, and um, I started menopause at 50, and I can tell you that I still have especially the night sweats. And at some point, sometimes they're they're really pretty severe. Um, But a couple of years ago, I also started having an issue with my hemoglobin being too high. Um, And in looking for issues for that, or what would have caused those issues of what's called polycythemia. Um, finally, um, a, a gynecologist said to me, an OBGYN said, maybe you should start donating blood because after the cessation of the menstrual cycle, um, y- your body doesn't turn off that need to produce, um, to produce that. So uh, the extra blood. And so it did. I started to donate blood. It was fine to donate my blood, and I started doing that. And my hemoglobin has stayed b- below now 14 and, and is much, I feel much better. So that was something that I didn't even know was a possibility. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing, Roz. I appreciate that. Um, I, uh, polycythemia is, um, I actually have a, a family member who was also um, affected by that or who had poly- who developed polycythemia vera uh, after menopause. And it's really just, you know, you have either um, an increase in your actual red blood cells, the number of red blood cells, or it can be from a decrease in your plasma volume. So what happens is it's almost as if you think about how you can uh, make something more concentrated by taking out more uh, taking out some of the fluid. Well, the same thing can happen in our blood. And so um, and that what happens is that that hemoglobin number, which usually is around twelve. Um, <clears throat> 
is what we consider normal, sometimes that number will go up to 14, 15, um, and sometimes even a little higher. Um, but thank you so much for, for um, adding that bit of information. Um, I wanted to go back, and since we've been talking about calcium and, you know, this this concept that was brought up just a moment ago about that extra calcium developing an affinity for those plaques that we know, the fatty plaques that develop in our arteries from all that really great food that's not good for us um, that we that we might consume. Um, and that's kind of the the underlying mechanism that is being proposed for this extra calcium um, and the risk related to calcium supplementation and its its contribution to heart disease. But one of the things I want to talk about is we've mentioned doing something or, or taking it in by diet. And so I'm sure that there are some people who are out there in our listening audience who um, might be lactose intolerant and are like, so what if I don't what if I don't drink milk or what if I don't like milk? Um, then what are some other potential sources of calcium supplementation? Now, this is not related to the heart disease piece, but just talking about um, ways to get calcium from natural sources that will help to meet the the recommendations for calcium intake to keep our bones healthy because that's that kind of is how this ties back into the menopause thing um and so there are some there are some sources of calcium that people might not know something besides just milk so um ways that you can get calcium in your diet so white beans are a source um Canned salmon. When I saw this, it made me laugh because it made me remember when I was a little girl and my grandmother used to make these salmon croquettes. Yes. And <laughs> I so, those. yeah. So if we didn't have the salmon and, you know, we didn't get to go out to the creek and buy salmon where I came from. We didn't have salmon in our creeks. Um, so we would, has salmon in the creeks. <laughs> I know, right? We didn't have salmon in the creeks around my house. So, uh, but, but we, um, would buy the canned salmon. My grandmother would buy the canned salmon. And I always thought it was the strangest thing because you'd buy this canned salmon, you open it up. Now, if you buy the canned tuna, you notice there's no, there are no bones in it. But the salmon always had the bones. And it's actually interesting because the bones are the source of calcium that's in the salmon, which is pretty interesting. Um, so you can get it from canned salmon. Um, sardines. Are sources of camp, of uh, salmon as well, but who can? Well, I suppose there are fans <laughs> of sardines. I'd rather. They I'd rather are eat one mud. of the healthiest fish to eat. Oh gosh! Can you believe that? Can you get the vitamins just by smelling them? <laughs> and you also get those great omega three fatty acids and some vitamin D Oof. as well. Um, dried figs, another source. These are things that you wouldn't normally think about. I um, normally eat. <laughs> hey. I'm, but I, I'm just putting it out so there. So you can so have fig newtons? <laughs> Does that count yeah, for dry fish? There you can. <laughs> um, and then you can have kale, which was, I think, mentioned before. Black-eyed peas, almonds, oranges. I think we always think about that. More vitamin C, at least. But you can also get calcium from oranges. Um, turnip greens, sesame seed. Um, okay, hold that thought. And oatmeal. We need, we're late for our last break. Oatmeal. You can get, you can, we'll think of some more during the break, but we do need to take a break. You still have a couple minutes to call in if you'd like it. 877-MPB-RING, 877-672-7464, and we'll be right back. Short break. 
This election year has been unpredictable. It can be hard to keep track of what's true and what's not. But NPR's election team wades through it all so you don't have to. Be informed. Listen to this station every day. This is Jim Dees, host of Thacker Mountain Radio, inviting you to join us every Saturday night at 7 p.m., where we'll feature the best in literature and music. We're inviting you to reach out and put your hands on the radio Saturdays at 7 p.m. Thacker Mountain Radio on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to women at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Welcome back. Talking about menopause on Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown, Dr. Michelle Owens, and our special guest, Dr. Sheila Bolden. She is an expert on menopause as an OBGYN. We are taking your questions for a few more minutes. We have just a short amount of time now before we wrap up. But um, before we go to this phone call, let me ask. We were talking about different vegetables and other items you can take for calcium supplements. Did you get through your whole list, Dr. Owens? Pretty much. I said oatmeal. Oh, and bok choy. Bok choy. Well, that's the top of everyone's (laughs) shopping list, I'm sure. Bok choy. Actually, I like bok choy. Good consistency. Get you some calcium. All right. We have Lynn calling in from the Gulf Coast. Hi, Lynn. Hi. What's your question? My question is uh, my low libido. I have confronted my uh, doctor concerning that to us. about getting some women Viagra. I don't know the proper names for it, but um, I needed to know if I needed to get a prescription from my doctor or order it from (laughs) offline. Thanks for that question, Lynn. There are a lot of women out there that do experience uh, decreased uh, sexual desire, low libido, and there is one medication that has been approved by the FDA. It's called Addy or Fibanserin um, that can help with uh, sexual desire. It's called the pink pill. It's (laughs) the little pink pill. Now, they did test Viagra in women, and it didn't show benefit for... um, sexual uh, desire in women, but there is one medication for that. The problem is that all of the providers that can prescribe that medicine have to go through some certification where they have to take this course, uh, which is online, reading a bunch of materials and get certified to even be able to prescribe it. Um, Some of the studies are showing since that medication came out that there hasn't been a significant difference in um, satisfying sexual events in women. So decreased libido, we have to look at not just medication, but if there are other factors that can be contributing to it. Yeah, I the I think everybody was really excited about um, this pill when it first came out. And um, it 
while there may be some uh, place for that medication to be utilized, um, I think as single therapy or just as that alone, like you're going to take a pill and miraculously turn into a sex goddess, is just really not what has happened. Um, and what we're finding is that the um, overall effectiveness is not as great as people had hoped. But I think that um, with decreased libido, there are some other um, off-label uses for other medications that have been used. So this pill is not the only option. Um, and I think that you should definitely work with your doctor to consider some of those. Um, and there are also some other um, behavioral techniques and therapies that you might be able to uh, avail yourself of in order to, uh, to help increase um, your sexual desire. Um, the other thing is about ordering it off online. Just be very careful. I have to really caution people about ordering medications online via the Internet. Um, sometimes you don't always get exactly what you think you're supposed to get. And it's very difficult for a prescriber on an Internet basis to be able to have access to the information that they need to know that that medication is safe and right for you. So I would... Um, I would suggest that you go back and talk to your provider. If your provider is not credentialed to be able to prescribe the medication, perhaps they may be able to find someone who is, um, or maybe to be able to give you some of those other alternatives that might also um, help you to um, kind of rekindle the flame, so to speak. All right. Thank you so much, Lynn. I hope that's helpful to you. Uh, Dr. Bolden, we have like 45 seconds left, so do you want to give us some parting thoughts about women approaching approaching menopause? I would like to encourage women not to be afraid of that transition. Um, like Carla said earlier, it can be beautiful transition because you know you've matured you got to the point where you don't have to worry about getting pregnant unwanted pregnancy and so forth embrace it uh there is help out there if you need it there are um your OBGYN physician we're all trained to uh treat patients who go through menopause so embrace it and don't be afraid to ask questions and talk to your doctor and also if you happen to be um if you happen to be sexually active and you are around the age of menopause, um, just don't forget that pregnancy can also occur. So sometimes people mistake some of those symptoms and they end up being pregnant. So just know if you've got the parts and you're using them, just make sure that you're not pregnant. Could be menopause. It could be pregnancy. Keep those parts protected. Dr. <laughs> Sheila Bolden, thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome. Southern Remedy for Women is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Think Radio. It is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by generous support from the members of the Foundation for Public Broadcasting in Mississippi. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. Our call screener, Liz Gill, who I learned also was providing the music today. For Dr. Michelle Owens, I'm Karen Brown. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy for Women. And stay tuned. NPR's Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio. This forecast is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy.